Okay, we are in the book of Ruth. We started the chapter last week. And um, the, the, that, of course, is already up on the website, if at all you're interested. But what we covered last week in the book of Ruth, and the book of Ruth is, is right after the book of Judges. And uh, uh, Judges is, is coming after Joshua, which is after Deuteronomy. So Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, and then a little book called Ruth, which comes just before 1 Samuel. little book just tucked in there. used to be part of Judges, actually, in, in the Hebrew Bible. It used to be an appendix to it. And we talked last week about judgment, about judgment that could well have come upon this family for having left the land, and how Elimelech... The man and his two sons and his wife, Naomi, left the land, went to the region of Moab because of a famine. And that famine was in the land of Israel and it was isolated only to Israel because it was a judgment upon Israel, as we had read in Judges chapter 6, that because of their waywardness, God had allowed uh, uh, attackers to come in and to devastate the land every year at harvest time so there was no food in the land. And as a result of that, a famine ensued and so this family set out to Moab without the direction of God and Elimelech died and then the two sons got wives. Uh, the, the two sons got wives and then the two sons died which left now three widows. And that's where we're going to pick this up. In verse, in verse uh, um, 5, it says, Then both Mahlon and Chilion, those were the two sons, also died, and the woman was bereft of her two children and her husband. Verse 6, Then she arose with her daughters-in-law, that she might return from the land of Moab. For she had heard in the land of Moab that the Lord had visited his people in giving them food. So she departed from the place where she was and her two daughters-in-law with her. And they went on, uh, on the way to return to the land of Judah. Okay, so after the death of the two sons, so the two sons had married and, and the family had lived there ten years. The famine in Israel had occurred for seven years. But it may have taken some time for, for Ruth to hear that, hey, the famine was over in Israel. And even though this famine had occurred for seven years, they had been attacked for seven years, really until the food started coming back and they were able to get this harvested and everything, may have been even greater than a little more than seven years. But they, it says that they had been there about ten years back in verse 4 when they had taken wives. And so they didn't last that long. After the, the, they had gotten married, they died. And then it says, So she rose with the daughter-in-laws that she might return from the land of Moab. Now really it's referring to Ruth's, to, to uh, 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 Naomi's return. Because the two daughter-in-laws had not ever been to Israel. The, the uh, Orpah and Ruth weren't returning. They were just with their mother-in-law. And it says that, that she was with them and they, were, they had begun to go back to the land of Judah. This was 
her place, her nationality. This is where she was going. And uh, um, this is where, where she was headed in verse 7. And then in verse 8 it says, And Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. May the Lord grant that you may find rest, each in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. Okay, so Naomi is now saying to the two daughters-in-law, you guys go on back. You go on back to your mother's home. And it's interesting, to your mother's house. Generally, what's referred to in scriptures is, you go back to your father's house. But the mother's house, we know from from the Song of Solomon, speaks of uh, where they get married. And she was turning them back over to their mother's house in the sense of, go and prepare for another marriage. And she was releasing them to go and to remarry. So she wasn't holding them in bondage to this. She said, go and remarry. But what's interesting about this is, she says, may the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. May the Lord grant that you may find rest each in the house of her husband. Look at the prayer she prays over them. May the Lord grant that you may find rest each in the house of her husband. You know, with with a 50% divorce rate, you wonder how many women are really finding rest in the house of their husband. And that's just the ones that are getting divorced. There's probably a whole lot more that really don't feel as if they're finding rest in this relationship with their husband. But she prays for them and blesses them and says... May the Lord grant you that you may find rest each in the house of her husband. May God grant this to you young ladies here. That you would experience in marriage a rest, a peace that the world doesn't normally have. This is a good thing to have. It is a hard thing to be in a marriage where there's not rest, where there's not peace. And unfortunately, this characterizes most of marriages. Not just... This this lack of rest characterizes most of marriages. Not just in the United States, but around the world. Worldwide. And this is why this was a special blessing. I pray that each of you finds peace in your marriage. In fact... I pray that each of you experiences the joy in marriage that I experience. I love being married. I think marriage is a tremendous invention. This is just tremendous. I think when God decided to make, to make wives, this was a great idea. Remember that Adam was alone and he said, there's, you know, he had, he had said again and again when everything was made, he said, this is good. But when Adam was made and he was alone, he said, you know, something here is not right. And he made Eve. This was a tremendous thing that God did. And this is what I experienced. I wouldn't want to be unmarried. There is not a day that I think that I would want to be unmarried. No way. 
I love my wife. I love being with her. I love being around her. I love coming home and seeing her there. And if I come home and she's not there, I'm like, oh. and and uh, it just it's just terrible. And I and when I drive home and the garage door opens and her car is not there, it's like, oh no, she's not here. And then if I open the door and I find out it's just no, Josiah has taken the car. I'm like, oh good, you're here. <laughs> it doesn't bother me that Josiah's not here. As long as Shireen is there, I know that that there's going to be peace in the home. And this has always been in, 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 this has always been the case, because even when the girls were little, uh, and, and even before we had the two boys, the girls were little, and when Shireen was going out, everybody would cry. I would cry, the two girls would cry, how, how could you leave us tonight? And the girls would say, don't leave us alone with Dad. <laughs> because it was never the same. If I was there, I was neurotic, I didn't want the house to get messed up, so I let my girls play, but they couldn't get off their beds. <laughs> you have to stay on your bed and play, because I knew that if they got off their beds, that the house would get all messed up. And so... You know, the house was always very neat and orderly when Shireen would return, but everybody was miserable because they were, they were strapped to this thing. There's just something that, that a wife adds to a home that is just tremendous. And this is why she said, I pray that you find rest in your home. I pray that you have the peace that I have in my home, that you experience what that is like and the blessing of a good home and a good marriage. We have certainly had our problems. We have had our arguments. We have had our counseling. But the general sense that we have is a tremendous peace. And we, I, I love it. I don't know, you're going to have to ask Shireen if she has sensed this measure of rest that I have had. But this is what it speaks of. This is the blessing, she says, that each of you would find rest in her husband's house. This is what she blessed them with. This is a tremendous thing. And you pray. Remember, the Bible says that you do not receive because you do not ask. The primary reason why we do not receive answers to prayer is that we don't pray. You ask God that you could find rest in marriage. That you could find that sense of rest in marriage. It is a great thing. God speaks of the Sabbath day. He speaks of those who honor Him will experience the Sabbath rest. And it talks about in the Bible how God has a rest for His people. When we draw into fellowship with Him, there is a sense of rest. So this idea of rest is a good thing to have. She sends them back to their mother's house in verse 8 because she wants them to remarry. And she stresses that again in verse 9. She's not holding them back. These were young women. She wants them to have the blessing of remarriage because their husbands have died. You now have three widows together here in the land of Moab. A dangerous situation. The other thing she does is in verse 8, she says, May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead. You dealt kindly with my sons 
Naomi is saying. You have been kind to me. May the Lord return that to you. Look in, in, uh, look in Galatians. In the book of Galatians. So, so you, you have this sequence. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. General Electric Power Company. Look in Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Look what Paul is saying. He says, Whatever you sow, you're going to reap. This is a principle that has been established by God. It is underscored here in the New Testament, in the epistle, but it also is from the Old Testament. Whatever you sow, you will reap. It speaks about, in the book of Proverbs, you do good to a poor man, God will visit you and do good to you. Specifically, it says, this will happen. Whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. Naomi says to her daughters-in-law, and look, and again, she refers, these are referred to her as her daughters-in-law, regardless of the fact that her two sons are now dead. She still refers to them. And in fact, she says to to them, go return to her mother's, uh, go return to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you. And in verse 11, but Naomi says, return my daughters. She considers these two girls her daughters. There is a relationship here. In spite of my sons being dead, you're my daughters, she calls them. When it's made reference to, it says her daughter-in-laws. But when she speaks to them, she doesn't say, oh, my daughter-in-laws all the time. She says, my daughters. There's a relationship there because they are doing good to her. They were good to her sons. She said, may the Lord reward you the same way you have been good to them. May the Lord reward you in return. The New Testament says, whatever we sow, we reap. If we sow to our own flesh, from the flesh we reap corruption. If all our life is, I have to take care of myself. I am here for my career. I am in school to benefit my career, to benefit my life. I exercise, I do this, I have no time for anything else. Don't you see how busy I am? I'm really very busy, can't you tell? So, when you're very busy and you only have time for yourself, from yourself, from your own flesh, you will reap corruption. You will turn in and in and in more upon yourself and it will become less and less pleasant of a life. And when you need help, help won't be there. Because you reap what you sow. You haven't helped others. You won't reap help. You know, some people wonder, why, why, do, why, why do people do things for Shireen, my wife? You know, why are they so willing to do things? And I'm like, do you know how much she does for other people? I mean, it, 
that, that that woman, if she never did another thing for anyone else in her lifetime, she would be ministered to with as much as she does for other people. You reap what you sow. It says, from your own flesh you reap corruption, in verse 8 of Galatians 6. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. If we sow into spiritual things, we're going to reap eternal life. It says, let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time you'll reap if you do not grow weary. So he associates this with doing good. You do acts of good, you will receive acts of good back. You do acts of good, your children will receive acts of good in return. I see my children being blessed, not for anything that they've done, but for things that their mother has done. Because Shireen has blessed so many people, they bless my children in return. And I don't think my kids even realize why these people are so good to them. It's because their mother was good to other people. You do good to others. People will even do your children good. My wife has served so many people's, other people's children, that wherever my children go, people do good things for them. You reap what you sow. Naomi knew this. She said, as you have been good to me, may God be good to you. As you have done Good to my sons, may God so reward you. And that's why in, in, in verse 9 of Galatians 6 it says, Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. If we do not grow weary, we will reap. When I was an undergraduate, whenever, whenever people in the church would get married, you know, I was always there to serve and to help. When it came time to my marriage, it was amazing what the people in the church did for us. How much they did to set up the whole hall where we were getting married. The the young girls in the church made these flowers out of paper. Lots of them. Hundreds of flowers and stuck them up behind this screen, behind us. I mean, just the handmade things. And I was looking at it and I think, why? Why would people invest all this time for us? Well, I had served in many ways. Not them, but other people. And God was rewarding me in return. And all I could do was just thank God for what people poured out for us at our wedding. You will reap what you sow. If you're a servant, if you are doing good to other people, you will reap in return. When I see students doing good things, participating, helping out in campus groups, helping out in cooking and in cleaning up, I know that they are going to reap many times over. The whole principle of sowing and reaping is not you sow a seed, you get a seed back. That is not the principle of sowing and reaping. The principle of sowing and reaping is you plant one kernel of corn, you get 10,000 kernels back. The principle of sowing and reaping is whatever you give, you get many, many times back. In this life and in the life to come. 
In verse 10 of Galatians 6, it says, So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. We are to do good to all people, but especially to those who are brethren. We are to do good. When I see students that never get up and raise a finger to help, to help out, I don't say anything to them, but I know that those students are not going to receive much in life because they've never learned how to serve. They've never learned how to give. Look in Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. Verse 37. Again, principle of sowing and reaping. Luke six thirty-seven. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Pardon, and you will be pardoned. Give, and it will be given to you. They will pour in your lap good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. This principle of sowing and reaping is here. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. If you're merciful in the way you deal with other people, you will receive mercy in return. If you don't condemn, you won't be condemned. If you're quick to judge, quick to condemn, you will receive back the same treatment. Maybe not this year, maybe not next year, but you will receive it back. If you learn to pardon and to let things go, people will offend you in life, they will hurt you. But if you learn to say, just let it pass, let it pass, people will let things pass when you offend them. But if you hold on to something where the person said something to you that wasn't nice, I remember they said that. The person said that to me, I'll never forget. People won't forget when you've said things that really should be pardoned. They'll never forget. And remember, you do it once, you'll reap back 10,000-fold. Whatever you sow, that you shall also reap. Give and it will be given to you. This is often spoken about in the context of money. It has nothing to do with money in this context. There are other portions that talk about money and sowing and reaping. But not this portion. This portion is talking about judging, condemning, and pardoning. Give, and it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Whatever you give out in this, you're going to get back so much, it's going to be coming out of your life. You want to be judged in life? Judge. You don't want to be judged in life? Don't have a judgmental spirit. Let things go. And people will have a tremendous attitude of you when you learn to let things go. Look in, in Matthew chapter 20. These are all things that, that are expected of us. Matthew chapter 20, verse 25. But Jesus called them to Himself, and He said, You know that rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and the great men exercise authority over them. It is not this way among you. 
Whoever wishes to be great among you shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So he says, you know, in the world, people try to exercise authority over one another. He said, among you, it is not to be this way. If you want to be great, you learn to be a servant. If you want to be greatest, you become a slave. That is the prescription for greatness. Never think that you are too high, that you are too great, that you are too important, that you don't have to stick your hands in the sink and start doing dishes. And that is not, oh well, I washed my dish and they can wash their dishes. You know, that is a very common attitude. I cleaned up after myself. That counts for nothing. It just means you're not an utter slob. That's all it means. You know, when I was writing recommendations for a guy, for a a graduate program, this guy that I know would always have his hands in the sink. He was always putting his hands in the sink and doing lots and lots of dishes. And I said, you've got to hire this guy. He was the guy that always stood by the sink and was doing dishes week after week after week. And just standing there and serving in this capacity. You've got to hire this guy. I said, because he knows what it is to be a servant. And because of that, he is the greatest He is the greatest. Immediately, he was hired. Because even employers in this world know what that means. And I know that that guy is going to have a good life. I know that because it's a promise. Jesus said it. He says, he will be great in this world. You put on an apron and you begin to serve. And you will have a very high place. If you're the type that just sits there and says, well, you know, serving is not my gift. Well, what's your gift? Well, my gift is leadership. You know nothing, nothing of leadership. Leadership in God's economy is service. That is what leadership is. You know, there was a guy that he, he wanted to work. He, he, he wanted to be a, a, a work with the Salvation Army. And he came in with a lot of ministry training. And this is back when the Salvation Army was really a Salvation Army. They would go out and preach the gospel. Tremendous works they had done in their history. And when he had gone out, he went and he talked about all the things that he did. And you know what the guy who was leading the Salvation Army said to him? He says, good, I'm glad you have all this background. You shall clean the restrooms. And he put into cleaning the restrooms. And after four months... Then he was promoted to the place where he could start cleaning the kitchen. Because this guy knew that he needed to learn service. Service is what leadership is. It is service. I can recognize who is going to be great among young people by the way they serve. I really can recognize it immediately. And if I can recognize it, how much more God that when there's 
a, a, a mission sort of trip and cleaning needs to be done. The student that grabs the mop and goes into the restroom that just stinks and starts cleaning that thing, I know that that's the person who is going to rise up. I know it. Because I know what service looks like. I know what it is. This is what it is. This is the demonstration of it. Jesus said, you want to be greatest, you're going to have to even be a slave. The one who serves in these capacities, it affects your life. I want you all to have good lives. I really do. But it doesn't come merely by attending church. It comes by service. When you serve another. Now you may be serving in all sorts of capacities that I don't know about. God knows. God is the judge. God is the one who sees. He sees what you do. He sees the way you serve. I had seen a guy that he used to go to the facilities that the church owned. The, the, not the main church building, but, but the other houses. And he would go in the evenings when nobody was around. He would clear away all the chairs. He would mop the floor. And then he would put this, uh, uh, this clear coat wax on the floors. Wait for the thing to dry and then set out the chairs. People never noticed this. Never noticed this. This guy would do this. Unseen, he would go and do this. He would bring a vacuum cleaner to these houses, unseen. And he would vacuum in the evenings. He wasn't paid to do this. There was no job description that this guy does this. He just did it. I saw what God did with this guy. And his life. It was amazing the way God used this guy and brought him up. It was amazing. These acts of service. You do this, you will be blessed. This is what Naomi was talking about. As you have done to my sons and to me. As you have done to the dead. How are the dead going to reward Oh, God is going to reward. God will reward. Even though nobody sees it anymore. You are nice to me, Naomi is saying. You are blessing my sons. You are blessing my husband. They are dead. They are gone. But God sees. God sees. And you will be blessed. This is the prescription for a good life. This is what Naomi is talking about back in Ruth. In the book of Ruth. This is what she's talking about. She said, May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. Because of this, may you find rest in the home of your husband. Young ladies, you learn to serve. If you're not a servant, you don't have a particular gift in this, you're not excused. You learn to serve. Service is something you learn. If you have a particular gift of service, you're just going a million miles an hour. But everybody should learn to serve and pick up beyond much more than themselves. And my kids will use this argument with me. I said, clean up around it. I threw my plate away. I said, what if Jesus just threw his plate away? What if Jesus just died for himself? 
No, He died for us. He was always going beyond what He had to do. What if Jesus just healed Himself? You go beyond this. If you're not good at serving, it's because you haven't practiced it much. You learn to serve. You learn to pick up after more than just yourself. You learn to clean. You learn to stick your hands in the sink and do the dirtiest jobs. You learn to look around and say, what needs to be done? What can I do? That is service. That is what service is. This is what service looks like. It is not someone saying, hey, could you help me out here and carry this trash? Oh yeah, I'll carry the trash. No, it is, what can I do? Is there trash that I can take out? Are there dishes that I can pick up? This is service. Is there a campus group that I could help arrange the service? You guys planning this agape service? Can I help you plan this? Maybe you can't sing. You can certainly set up sound systems. These things are so simple now that a person could teach you in ten minutes how to set up a sound system. You plug this wire into this thing and, you know, red goes into red and blue goes into blue. You're done. It is that simple. It takes ten minutes to learn this. There is some capacity in which you could serve. You know how to set up a chair? Where you go before the service starts and you set things up. There's an agape service and it's it's in a classroom that may be kind of trashy. You go before the service and you just pick up trash. And if a chair is sticky, you go to the restroom and you get some paper towels and you get them wet. And you go and wipe down that chair because one of the brethren may sit in that chair. And so that their back doesn't get stuck on it, you clean it. They will never know that you have cleaned it. And that is better, because then God knows. This is service. This is what service looks like. It means staying afterward and cleaning up when all others have gone, just to make sure the room is clean. This is what service looks like. It is practical. You will bring rest into your home 20 years later by that act of service that was done 20 years before. You will find rest with your husband. And the reason is because some young man will see you always serving and his heart will start pounding when he sees this. Because men recognize the type of woman that will make a good wife. Men recognize this. They see this. You do this type of service, you will be recognized. Men, you do this type of service, young women will recognize you. They say, hey, this is a good man. He is a good man. He cares about other people. He is giving his time for other people. I'd like to be in a home with a man like that. Somebody who's generous with themselves. This is what service looks like. She prayed a blessing over them, but it wasn't undeserved. She said, you deserve this blessing because the way you have served me and the way you have served the dead, the way you served my sons. She recognized that they were good women and she blessed them with good lives. Let's pray.
Father, thank you for the image of what a Christ-like life looks like. Father, thank you for the words that have been spoken. That were spoken by Naomi. To bless her daughter-in-laws with good lives. With good homes. With kindness of God. Because they knew what service was. Father, I pray for these young people. That they would understand what service is. And they would understand what Jesus spoke about. Father, I pray that they would reap what they have sown in life over and over again according to Your Word. And Father, I pray that You'd cause them to walk in service to You so that they would reap again and again blessing upon blessing and grace upon grace. Father, thank You for the truth of Your Word. And I commit this to You. Have mercy, O Lord, I pray upon these young people. In the name of Jesus, amen.